You know, we as a staff, we were praying about the uh, theme, the Advent theme for this year, and I have shared it with you. We are going to borrow some lines from O Holy Night, and it's a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. That's our theme for this year. And uh, this is going to fit with that theme, but I will tell you, you're going to have to put your seatbelt on because uh, we have some very challenging verses and uh, they're going to challenge some of the ways that we think as Christians. Uh, we're going to have a verse in there about not getting weary, and I think that's easier said than done, right? I can tell you, don't be tired. You know, just, just uh, uh, tighten your shoelaces and, and keep on going. But, you know, we need, we need a, a fountain. We need a strength outside of ourselves. And I think that's what this year has done for many of us is make us realize how dependent we are on the Lord. So the verses are 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 18. Let me just uh, ask you, if you're physically able to stand, to go ahead and stand to your feet. Let's read the text together as we always do. 2 Thessalonians 3, 6, Brethren, don't grow weary of doing good. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, 2 Thessalonians 3, 6, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life and not according to the tradition which you receive from us. Seven. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with labor and hardship we kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Nine. Not because we do not have the right to this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you so that you would follow our example. For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ, to work in a quiet fashion and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary. There's our title of doing good. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that person and do not associate with him so that he will be put to shame. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Now may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand, and this is a distinguishing mark in every letter. This is the way I write. The grace of the Lord Jesus, of our Lord Jesus Christ, be with you all. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. Brethren, don't grow weary in doing good. What do we do when we come to the end of a couple of letters like this, very much saturated with end times? day of the Lord kind of teaching, what we call eschatology. What do we do now? How do we live in light of the second coming? I've given you uh, several markers to consider in terms of what will the end times be like. And I guess if anybody were to try to venture a guess of some of the things that we'd see, it would be the year 2020. That's for, for certain. But we have to be biblical and we have to make sure that we stay anchored to the hope that we have in Christ. What are we to do as we wait for the Lord's return? Jesus said we are to occupy until he comes. And he said that in the parable of the Minyas, which is, I think, Luke's uh, chapter 16. And he used those words, occupy until I come. Now, I gave you a few things to think about in terms of a personal mission for your life. 
Verse 1 says in chapter 3, Finally, brethren, pray for us. Prayer is a key. That the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did also with you. So if you haven't done this already, I would encourage you to mark this as a personal mission. A mission of prayer and a mission to be praying specifically for evangelism or what we would say a revival or a great awakening in America would occur. Pray, verse 1, that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and will be welcomed, it will be honored, it will be glorified. If this nation is going to make a comeback, and for that matter, the world, it's going to be because the word of God spreads rapidly. How does it spread rapidly? People will not hear without a preacher People will not preach unless they are sent. So we have to be on mission as God's people, amen? we got to get the word of God out there. We've got to go out as we do on radio, as we send missionaries out, as we have evangelism teams in our own personal spheres. we got to be about our Father's business. And if you are sitting on the sidelines right now, or if you're wondering what is it that I should be doing as a Christian, you should be having a life of prayer. You should be active in evangelism. Be praying for those who go out, uh, our evangelism teams. Be praying for missionaries. Pray that the word of God would run swiftly through our land and that it would be honored again, that we would stop kicking God out of the public square. Amen? That we would not be ashamed of the gospel. And especially, I address God's people with this, let's not be ashamed of the saving power of the gospel. Now, here's another aspect of mission that I would encourage you to be thinking about. Maybe you can be thinking about this for the new year as well. And that is the idea of a well-ordered life. And that's kind of the central focus of this text, is a well-ordered life. And let me just say that there's two primary areas that I would share with you about a well-ordered life. Number one is your spiritual life. Do you have a well-ordered spiritual schedule? Now, I, I know sometimes we hear schedule and we think, are we, are we trying to, you know, move the Holy Spirit out of directing our walk through a schedule? Well, I don't think the two are mutually exclusive, by the way. And here's what I mean. I have a weekly schedule of Bible studies and things that I go to that are predictable because I know I need them. I need fellowship. I need the Word of God. I go to Bible studies, some of which I don't teach so that I can be fed. I listen to other pastors. I have a schedule. Now, I I realize that a lot of you have very busy schedules. You have families, you have kids, you deal with traffic, you deal with work. But the other part of this text is about working hard at your work. And so you can be doing spiritual things. You can be making a spiritual impact in your place of employment. See, you are the person that God has at that company or in that neighborhood, and some of you are stay-at-home moms, and you're working harder than any of us. And so, you know, you find ways to pour into your kids. Maybe you're connecting with other moms in a, in a group or whatever it may be. But here's the point. A well-ordered life will bring additional peace and mission to your life. If you are living a chaotic life right now, if you don't even know what you're doing the next hour, if you don't have an ordered life, a disciplined life, then you're going to feel chaotic, and this is no time to feel chaotic, right? So I would encourage you that some of you need to look at just your overall life. This might be the talk about goals. What is it that, and I'm not talking about over planning your life, I'm talking about simplicity, I'm talking about maybe scaling back on some things. 
so that you can be feeding your spirit and doing the things that God tells us to do. Jesus put it this way, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you, Matthew 6, 33. So Paul is going to get into mission in verse 6 and it opens with a command. This is not a suggestion. Verse 6 says, now we command you, brethren. Does that bother some of you? That the Bible has a command? People say, well, there's 10 commandments, right, in the Old Testament. Well, there, there's more than 10. <laughs> but do you know the New Testament has commandments as well? Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. See, Jesus Christ has commands that he gives to us because he is our Lord. Jesus said it this way in Luke 6, 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Or another way to put it is, why do you call yourself a Christian and you don't obey the word of God? Now, some of you are brand new to the faith. Some of you are coming back to the faith. Some of you are learning the word of God little by little. We're all learning, right? It doesn't matter how long we've been taking in the Word of God. But once you know something, it is up to you and me to amend my ways to my Lord. Because that's what you call Jesus is Lord. He's not just your Savior. He's your Lord. That means he can command you and you're supposed to do it. You're not supposed to say, well, I don't do windows. I'm not sure, Jesus, if you knew this. There's a list of things that I don't do. I don't do windows. I don't vacuum. I don't do dishes unless there's a dishwasher. Uh, no. If you're going to call Jesus Lord, then you do what he says. And here is a command through an apostolic authority. And notice it's given, verse 6, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, which adds you know, a layer of authority, if you will. This is coming through Paul, and you could say the missionaries as well. And it's in the name. Whenever you, say, you see in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that is... The authority of the Lord, the power behind the name. When you tag a prayer in Jesus' name, that's essentially what you're doing. Or you can start a prayer. Father, I come to you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, through whom I have access to you. That's why I'm in right standing with you by Jesus Christ. And now I bring my petitions to you. Or you can end a prayer in the name of Jesus, in the authority, in the power you could say what's imbued in that or within it or inherent in it is the gospel, the saving gospel and the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ that he has on our lives. This is a command. And it's a hard command because it says next that you keep aloof. This is, uh, the NIV says, keep away. The New King James says, withdraw from every brother. So this is not a so-called brother as we see in 1 Corinthians 5. This is an actual brother, sister in the Lord, who leads an unruly life. The idea of unruly is disorderly. He conducts himself, she conducts herself in a disorderly manner, and not according to the tradition. We studied that word. That is simply divine revelation passed down, the Greek word paradosis, which you receive from us. It's the handing down of divine teaching. If you see anybody living a disorderly life, you were to pull back from that person. There were some Christians in Thessalonica to whom this letter is written who were no longer in the trenches. They weren't working. 
They, they weren't really working for the kingdom. They had become lazy, undisciplined, busy bodies. Instead of building up the church, they were draining it, taxing good people who were working hard and giving all that they had. And even though this is a difficult command, Paul addresses this group squarely. Paul had heard about problems as it relates to teaching about the day of the Lord, and he had also heard about behavioral issues within this church. And chapter 3 gets to more of the practical issues. We're moving away from the eschatology or theology, if you will, and we're moving now more to behavioral kind of stuff. Steve Brown relates a story of a soldier in World War I who was so distraught with the war that he deserted. He tried to find his way to the coast so he could catch a boat and make his way incognito to his homeland in England. In the darkness of the night, he stumbled on a road sign. It was so pitch black and he was so lost, he had no idea where he was or what the sign said. So he decided to climb up the pole. When he got to the cross beam, he held on to read the sign. Taking out a match, he lit it. He looked directly into the face of Jesus Christ. He had climbed on an outdoor crucifix. Stunned by what he saw, he realized the shame of his life. He was looking into the face of the one who endured it all and had never turned back. The next morning, the soldier was back in the trenches. And some of you may feel that way. It, it feels like exiting stage left in a crazy world like this might be the best option. You guys have heard about suicide rates skyrocketing and abuse and all the other things that shutdowns have done and just the pressure of life have done to people. And some people in Thessalonica, because of, apparently because of Day of the Lord teaching, or maybe just because this is how they were, they began to drain the church. Here's what they were doing. They might have been saying something like this. This is a bit of conjecture, but they may have been saying, hey, the Lord could come, and perhaps, you know, some people have been saying that we've entered into the Day of the Lord. That was a false teaching, but, and maybe some people were saying that, and they said, we're going to just quit our job, and it's up to the Christian community to take care of us. So if I'm running short, I'm not going to work anymore. I'm going to study my Bible all day, and uh, I'm going to mooch off of God's people. And that's what some of these people were doing. Remember, this is not about people who could not work. That is, were disabled or beyond their working years. That's not what the text is addressing. This is addressing able-bodied people who refused to work. And I could spend the next 20 minutes talking to you about our society and entitlement and things that are going to get us in trouble if we don't recapture a good work ethic. America was known for a work ethic of working hard to provide for your family. And I'll tell you what, if, you, if, if this, the way the political movements are where people are trying to get people to buy into an idea that everybody should just hand you everything is not healthy, for people, and it's not biblical. And that's my main concern. It's not biblical. Did you read the verses with me? It's not biblical to sit at home, watch terrible daytime television, and wait for the government to give you a check. That's not the way we were wired. In fact, before the fall, Adam was given responsibility over the garden to cultivate it and keep it. Before the fall, he was given work to do. Work is not a result of the fall. It's how we are wired. We are supposed to be busy and productive 
And some people with a false notion or a false teaching have begun to live an undisciplined life. We've had some usual suspects over the years in church where this is what happens, and I'm not talking about legitimate needs, but we've had people, they go on the circuit of churches, and they pull up in their automobile, and they tell the same story to 10 or 20 churches about a sob story and a sick loved one in the hospitals, you know, in San Diego, and we come to find out that they've been playing all the churches in the city, and we find out because we do talk to each other. And we find out that the same couple has been going around. Or sometimes what we have is we have a person who walks into a church, and I'm just being candid with you, this is what happens. They sit through a service, they walk forward at an altar call, they act like they're giving their lives to the Lord, but their real motive is to get material resources from us. This is where we need to be discerning as the people of God. Because we want to give to people, we want to make sure everybody's taken care of, and you guys do a tremendous job with the benevolence ministry here. And we take responsibility to make sure it gets funneled out properly. And if we have to default, we will default to grace. But we're not going to be manipulated by people. And we're not going to just, you know, not ask any questions and then just give stuff away. We want to make sure that this is genuine. And so in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you NIV brothers to keep away from every brother who is idle and does not live according to the teaching NIV you receive from us. In 1 Corinthians 15, 33, we hear Paul say this, these words. He says, bad company corrupts good morals. There's a flip side to this, that if you hang around people who, who live disorderly, undisciplined lives long enough, they are bound to rub off on you. Amen? So you got to choose your relationships carefully. Let me just say that this shouldn't shock anybody because even in the world, people pull back from toxic people. Amen? You, people try to choose their friends well. And if someone is in a relationship with you where all they do is constantly drain you, and you find that not only is it toxic, but you're enabling them by continuing to pander to their unhealthy living, that's not healthy for them, and it's not healthy for you. So you could call this section a little bit of tough love. And I know it's hard sometimes to put these things into practice. At what point do you do something like this? Well, here's what I would say. This is not about a person who's in a tough spot. This is not about somebody who's depressed or you know, is just having a tough go of it for a few weeks or a few months. This is a person who's in a habitual pattern of draining resources when they are fully able to work themselves. And it's just not becoming to a Christian. It's not honorable. It's not what should be happening. So what do we do? How do you approach such a person? Do you text them and say, hey, we won't be hanging out anymore. Uh, you've crossed the line. You know, what do you do? Well, brethren, even if a man is caught in any trespass, Galatians 6.1, you who are spiritual, you're to restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself lest you be tempted. The idea of restoring in Galatians 6.1 means to mend or repair. It was originally used to set a broken bone. So if we go to someone in love, it's to try to encourage someone to walk right again. Amen? That's the idea of restoration. Any kind of discipline, whether you would draw a boundary in an unhealthy relationship, whether the church would practice church discipline, 
is ultimately for the restoration of that individual. If you keep the cycle going and you continue to feed and enable unhealthiness, it's just a bad situation. And I'm sure if you've been around long enough, you guys can probably think of multiple people that you know who are caught in this kind of cycle. And sometimes there are people who are feeding the cycle. And it's very difficult sometimes because we think we're doing stuff in the name of love, but ultimately we are doing stuff that's probably counterproductive. For you yourselves know seven. You had firsthand knowledge how you ought to follow our example because we did not, says Paul, and he's speaking of the other missionaries as well, act in an undisciplined manner among you. You had a firsthand example of how to live. We didn't just tell you what to do by instruction. We actually lived it out. We did, uh, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with labor and hardship, we kept working, notice, night and day, so that we might not be a burden to any of you. And not because we do not have the right to, to this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you, that you might follow our example. Some things that we do, we just simply should do to be a good example to people. And we have to put that within our thinking as believers. Jesus washed the disciples' feet on the night before he died. And he said, you call me master and Lord. You're right, that's what I am. If I, your master and Lord, wash your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. I've given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. You can check out John 13, 13 through 18. I've given you an example. The disciples had a living example. The Christ didn't just teach sermons. He touched people. He didn't just give these amazing sermons, as amazing as they are, like the Sermon on the Mount and many others that we could talk about. But he actually was in the trenches with people going over to the other side of the lake to touch a man who was, you know, demonized. And we could talk about story after story. Shane mentioned the woman at the well crossing a racial boundary into a place where Jews were not expected to go to speak to a woman who had been married and divorced five times, was living with the man that she was with now, and probably was a very wounded person because in that culture, women didn't have the right to divorce. So she was probably abandoned multiple times, and Jesus had an appointment with her. And the disciples often asked questions while he was interacting with people, like, what is he doing? Why is he here? They were often confused, and he was modeling what it means to be a Christian, which means to walk in the same manner as Christ walked. That's what a Christian is. A Christian is not just about a creed. It's about conduct. It's about life. It's about how your marriage looks and how your work ethic looks and how your friendships look and what it says on the entries of, you know, where you give your money and where you spend your money. You're not called to loaf it, neither am I. A man was driving on a lonely road one summer day, and he saw a car with a flat tire pulled over to the shoulder of the road. A woman was standing next to the car, looking down in dismay at the flat tire. The man decided to pull over and play the Good Samaritan. He grew hot and sweaty and dirty in the hot sun as he changed her tire. The woman was watching him, and when he was finally finished, she said, Be sure and let the jack down easily now. Because my husband is sleeping in the back seat of the car. <laughs> Let it down gently. 
He's, he's getting his little nappy poo. <laughs> Say what? <laughs> I hope you all get it. See, what in the world's going on there? Well, things are out of place. They're out of order. Not because we don't have the right, Paul says. And when he was in Thessalonica, two times the Philippian church sent him a gift, Philippians 4.16. So it wasn't that Paul wasn't receiving some support, but part of his motivation here was to be an example, to work hard. Because the culture at that time was very suspicious of the Christian church. Rumors were flying about things that Christians did behind closed doors. They were wrong, but they were rumors nonetheless. There was distrust and disinformation about believers. And Paul wanted to make sure that he separated himself from every so-called traveling philosopher who charged money when they preached. And so Paul had the right for support because those who share the gospel should make their living by the gospel. Nothing wrong with that. But Paul knew that there was something higher in towns like Thessalonica and Corinth where there was suspicion. So he decided not to take support from those people. And to actually work hard at his trade, which he was a tent maker. And so he taught the word of God and he worked. And there are many bivocational ministers throughout the country. Do you know that the average church in America is less than 100 people? I think it's about 80 people, the average congregation. If you live in a city like this, you are not going to make it with a congregation of 80 people. You probably can't even pay a senior pastor to support his family. So there are many bivocational pastors who work a job and, you know, uh, teach and support the congregation. The Didache, an ancient uh, church manual about the turn of the century, say, say about 100, 100, 115 A.D., somewhere in there, instructs Christians on how to deal with people who show up as visitors. Listen to this. If he who comes as a traveler comes, help him as much as you can. But he shall not stay with you more than two days, or if necessary, three. If he wishes to settle down with you and has a craft, let him work for his bread. But if he has no craft, make such provision for him as your intelligence approves, so that no one shall live with idleness as a Christian. If he refuses to do so, he is making merchandise of Christ. Beware of such people. Close quote. That's an early church manual that says, People should not stay at your house more than two days. If you want a copy of that for Thanksgiving, I will happily <laughs> copy it for you because some of you have family members that, you know, eat your favorite part of the turkey. And, but you know they can't come over this year anyway, right? So, so you have an excuse if you need it. Or some of you are getting creative and saying it's a funeral service for Tom the turkey. I, I get that as well. So whatever you got to do. Anyway, <laughs> for we hear present tense, we keep on hearing, that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. We hear that some people are running around, not doing anything, and the command in verse 10, or even when we were with you, we used to give you this order, we commanded you, same Greek word, if anyone will not work, neither let him eat. Now some of you should put that on your refrigerator if you have children. Uh, you have this chore list. This should be your verse right here. Did you make your bed? No. No cookie for you. <laughs> Our kids need to get a little stronger, a little soft. Don't you think? 
That's 2 Thessalonians 3.10. The advice is free, okay? If you want to drop a little extra in the offering, <laughs> anyway. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, If anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, listen to this, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. My goodness. That's a Bible verse. I know it's not a comfortable one. But if someone is in a pattern where all they do is sit around and expect other people to take care of them when they're able-bodied, there's something wrong. And we're not to feed that. This is where it would be good if our country got back to the Word of God, don't you think? Now, such persons we command, what do, what do we do? Well, Paul says we're commanding these people. First, he addressed the people about how to deal with them, the believers there. Now, he addresses the folks that are the slack ones. Now, such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in a quiet fashion and eat their own bread. These people were commanding, be quiet and get to work. <laughs> you didn't know all this was in the Bible. Isn't this wonderful? Anyone who fits this description in a fellowship is commanded to get back in line. And as one scholar puts it, stop fussing, stop idling, and stop sponging. Just cut it out. But as for you, brethren... Back to the church now. Don't grow weary of doing good. NIV says, as for you, brothers, never tire of doing what is right. In due season, we will reap if we don't grow weary, we're told in Galatians. Are you tired? I tell you, this is, this is a weary world. And I'll tell you, 2020, like no other year I can remember, I look around at a weary world. I know there's confusion. And, you know, there's, you hear 17 different sides of a story. What are you to believe? And what are you to do? It's where we need wisdom. We need the Word of God. We need discernment. But don't give up, brethren. Never tire of doing what is right. Don't give up doing what is good. I know it gets tiring, and I know we get taxed, and you know, Paul said, I will even be poured out for you if that's what has to happen. I will pour out my life for you because our lives are not about us. And this does not mean, by the way, that we don't rest. We have to practice the concept of Shabbat or Sabbath. We need days of rest. We need to get away from it. Don't get me wrong here. But I'll tell you what, once we get revitalized and the, the batteries get re-energized, we got to get back in the game. And, the, you know, Jesus often slipped away to pray. And he said to the disciples, let's go over here off by ourselves for a while. There were constant demands and he knows what it's like to have a demanding schedule. And so you can go to your high priest, Hebrews 4, and say, Lord, I'm overwhelmed. I'm very honest with my Lord. I'm overwhelmed. I, I don't have the resources to meet one more need, Lord, so you're going to have to meet it through me. Johnny Erickson Tata often says, Lord, I don't have a smile for anybody today, so give me your smile. See, weariness forces me to the foot of the cross. 
or more specifically, to the heart of my high priest. And he promises to give help in time of need. And so you can say, Lord, I'm tired. Would you help me? And inevitably what happens is the Lord provides an encouraging word from a friend, a, a Bible verse, uh, a word in a sermon. You turn to a radio pastor and just the right word at the right moment comes. And if anyone doesn't obey this instruction, 14, in this letter, take special note of that person. We have name tags for them that we'll be handing out at the end of the service. No. And do not associate with him so that he will be put to shame. So in the original Greek, this means you have to stay six feet away from him. So just write that down. It's a six foot. That's a joke. Don't, don't write that down. Now, the idea of not associating is intimate fellowship. The, the Greek word actually means to mix together. So let me just maybe give a practical word to a tough concept. You can't go on like nothing is wrong when something is wrong. I know some of you are really good at sweeping things under the rug, right? Let's just go on. We're not going to talk, not going to talk about it. It's sticking out of somebody's forehead, you know. We're not going to talk about that thing that's sticking out of your forehead right now. No, we'll pretend like it's not there. Brian Regan, the comedian, tells the story of an office environment where one employee has a uh, hair sticking straight out from the middle of, of just above his nose, uh, an eyebrow hair. And the talk around the office is, has anybody told him yet? Has anybody told him yet? No, I didn't tell him. Did you tell him? No, I didn't tell him. How does he not see it? I don't know. It must be the direction that he looks in the mirror. It must just be that it's hitting straight on and he doesn't see it to pluck the hair out. <laughs> you can laugh. It's okay. Why do we do that? Because we're not comfortable with telling somebody that they got a two-foot hair coming out of the middle of their forehead. But if, so, but if you had a two-foot hair coming out of the middle of your forehead and it grew overnight, would you appreciate somebody telling you? Hey, dude. <laughs> Sorry to break this to you, man, but there's a two-foot hair coming straight out. I think planes are planning on landing on it in the near future. <laughs> yeah. You might want to pluck it. And it's over with. It's a moment of uncomfortableness for a lifetime of bliss. Otherwise, you'll have to keep the six-foot distance in perpetuity. That means forever. But no. Brethren, <laughs> I urge you, Romans 16, 17 through 19, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned and turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Jesus Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. For the report of your obedience has reached to all. Therefore, I am rejoicing over you, but I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil, Romans 16, 17 through 19. If we just pass these people along to the next unsuspecting victim, then we've done the body of Christ no good. We've done family members no good. Now, I know it's hard, but this is where we need God's grace to speak the truth in love. 
And if, if we're talking down to people, we don't have God's heart. Because the thing can grow on your forehead. You, you might be surprised, but it could happen to you. The point is this. That the way we come toward people, we don't know everything. So we shouldn't make assumptions, but we can at least try to find out. We don't regard this person as an enemy, 16 or 15, but we admonish him as a brother. We say to the person, brother, man, this is not what the Lord has for you. And we, the word admonishes, we encourage strongly for a turnaround. A lot of you know wayward people. They made a profession of faith and they're, they're in trouble. They're in trouble. And this is where we try to go to them in love. And of course, it's a two-way street. They have to receive it. Now, I know you need some encouragement, so it ends on a beautiful note here. Now may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace. This is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew shalom. May you be well. May you experience God's peace. May the Lord of peace. Notice, he's the God of peace. He's the Lord of peace. Jesus is our peace. May he himself continually grant you peace. May the God who is peace give you peace in every circumstance, whether you got to do something hard this week or whether things are relatively good. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand, and this is a distinguishing mark, kind of the idea that Paul would sign the end of the letter or write a few sentences at the end. He would use something like a secretary for his letters, uh, so he would dictate the bulk of a letter, and then he would pick up the pen to make sure there was a distinguishing mark. This is very common in the ancient world. It's a, called an amunensis, I think is the way you, but it's a secretary, and you would dictate the letter, and then you'd pick it up as if to sign it with your autograph so that people knew it was authentic. That's how this works. So he says, this is the mark so you would know the authenticity of letters that I actually write. This is the way I write. And then it ends, the grace of, the Lord, of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Father, thank you for these two wonderful letters. First and second Thessalonians have been a blessing to us as a fellowship. Challenging, no doubt relevant, as the whole Bible is, uh, challenging in the, in the sense of needing wisdom on how to execute these things, Lord, but always knowing that you guide us to do everything we do in love and to do it for your honor and to make sure we examine our hearts before we do anything. But ultimately, Lord, I, we know that our example is critical. In fact, the power of an example cannot be uh, overstated. It, it, it's, it's really what makes the difference, and it's, it's often what undermines the Christian church is a poor example, a waffling example, a hypocritical example. It's, it's stumbled many a people. And while we know that the, the household of God is filled with people in process, we don't use grace as an excuse to be in rebellion to our Lord. And so this is a good time for us to just do some personal inventory, Lord. At the end of a tough year, I pray that this year has driven us to you. There are many who are weary. But we're going to turn our hearts this Christmas season, starting next Sunday, as we look to Advent 
And we're going to focus on words that say a thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices. And when the time was just right, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. He came to the weary, broken world just at the right time. And Lord, perhaps that's going to happen again. Perhaps the second coming is going to be very much like that. You alone know every detail. But until that day comes, we live in anticipation of the second advent and we live looking and celebrating back on the first advent. We live, as many say, between the times. But nonetheless, we live in a season of grace. And your church has been able to do so much good in this world. And I pray, Lord, if revival and a great awakening is on the horizon, that it would start with us. It would start with me and my house serving the Lord. Keep your heart bowed just for a moment. And if you've not asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, this would be a wonderful time to make him Lord of your life. Tell him about your intention to follow him. You don't have to have a perfect prayer, but it needs to include that you believe the gospel, that you believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead and lived and died in the very history in which we live. Trust him as your Lord and Savior. Tell him that you're sorry for your sin and that you want to follow him. If you're a prodigal and you've been away, maybe some of this has been you, that your life's been chaotic. You want to get it back in order. That's easily done, and there, there are many who would help you with that. And Father, for this wonderful congregation, fighting the good fight of faith, battling, I pray that you'll help them to have strength, a fresh breath of the Spirit, refreshing waters from the Holy Spirit to fill up and strengthen your people just for today, because we can't worry about tomorrow. But how about just for today, that you'd fill everybody afresh with the strength that God provides, that we'd mount up with wings like eagles, that we'd run and not get tired, we'd walk and not be weary. Our hope is in you. In Christ's name we pray.